Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there. Welcome to the podcast. So in the last few weeks, I've changed. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I was going to retitle things and it's now you might see Rob of the Green presents and under that umbrella we have the 1% Better podcast we have the book club which is going from strength to strength and we have that mini series me myself and AI which I do plan to release more on but when you put them all together this is now episode 200 of all the things I've released and that is pretty cool delighted to hit the milestone but I don't like over celebrating things because it's at the end of the day just another episode and I'm you know, moving on to the next one after this one. So I don't want to go more than just say thanks to everybody that's listening, um, continues to do so. I'd be surprised if anyone listened to to all 200, but if you have, let me know. And those that are listening in Lithuania and Panama and strange places like that, that um, I see on a regular basis that uh, the podcast gets charted in those countries, which is always fascinating to see. Welcome. Thank you for listening as well. But to everybody in Ireland, in the US or wherever, thanks again so much and keep at it and keep listening to all podcasts because there's so much to learn from them. I learned from every episode and this one was none different with Alison Krieger Walsh. Lots of fascinating insights from her journey, not only as a baton thrower, but as Miss Florida and in her current role. What a inspiring lady lots of really insightful nuggets she shares and i'm sure you'll enjoy it as well so there you go short intro 200 not out here's to another 200 over the next four five ten years whatever it might take but we'll keep going and keep enjoying it and i hope you do too have a great week and take care talk to you soon good luck Hi folks, welcome to another 1% Better podcast episode and this time I am jumping over the pond again. I think my last probably five guests have been in the US. I, I think that's something, I don't know if I should maybe move to the US and, and set up over there instead, but um, I'm delighted to introduce Alison Krieger-Walsh to the podcast tonight. Alison, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Delighted to have you on the show and you have a number of titles after your name. You're a speaker, an author, a founder, a marketing expert. Um, you have a president of a non-profit organization and a podcast as well uh, and also a coach. And I think I better stop there or it'll just kind of keep you know running out of uh, names. But I like sometimes to ask of all of those titles, um, which one is the most important for you? What stands out the most for you? I mean, for me, I think the coach aspect runs through everything that I do, right? So whether I'm working with my team, right, I, I run a national business development team for a healthcare company, um, or I'm working with clients one on one, or I'm helping empower other people, I'm always coaching. It's been something that I've loved doing. I've done it for a long time in a lot of different capacities. And I find great joy in that. And I love helping people become the best versions of themselves, whatever it is that they're striving for, whether it's in their career, in their life, um, with their health, right? Because of what we do. So a lot of that all boils down to coach. It's that underlying theme. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more from a coaching perspective. It's what I love to do most as well. And uh, 
and in many ways I, I see these interviews uh, in, in, in some ways they're like coaching sessions but helping others as well you know you're kind of um, giving giving it paying it forward or paying it back whatever way you want to look at it where did that come from for you where did that passion to help others originate do you think have you reflected on that I, I'm assuming as a coach you do a lot of self-reflection so you you probably did yeah, so I grew up as a competitive athlete. And so, you know, I always appreciated constructive feedback so that I could be the best version of me and I could show up and perform and do what I needed to do so I could win, right? <laughs> like very driven. Uh, but then as I really evolved and in my career and my professional life, I, you know, really looked towards others to help me continue to level up. And, and I realized how important it was that no matter if I was done with school or I was done, quote unquote, with whatever I was working on, that it, you're really never done. And so always looking for opportunities to learn and grow um, was very important to me. And, and so, you know, it really started at a young age and then helping others, right, really in, in what I do now. Uh, you know, I, I started a nonprofit when I was 18 years old with the intention of helping people get through really terrible times in their lives and become well again. Uh, and so that whole journey, right. So that, and I ran that nonprofit for 18 years, it was incredible to be able to walk alongside somebody in some of their darkest times and get them through to the other side and to realize how impactful that can be. And you know how fulfilling it is for me too to watch somebody really change their lives and taking some of those core concepts and translating that into what I do on a daily basis, um, has been really special. Mm -hmm. I guess when I, Kind of started my own deep self-reflection journey and came out the other side in a positive way and wanted to help and coach people um more more than ever i think coming out afterwards i, I probably went through things in the past when i was younger growing up that um without doubt weren't good at the time but certainly made made me who i was afterwards was there anything in your early stages in your life that kind of do you think made you want to help other people? What was the, the kind of spark for that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the reason I started the nonprofit and that was really my gateway into behavioral health too, right? So there's all these intersections of, of my story that overlap that, you know, when you rattle off all the different things I've done, it's like, wow, there's a lot of things there, but there's always this like core theme um, underneath them all. I struggled with an eating disorder when I was in high school, uh, pretty severely for three and a half years and didn't really know where to go, who to turn to, was very alone, felt very confused, very ashamed of what I was going through, um, and really never wanted anybody else to feel the same way, right? Like I got pretty severe because I didn't know what to do, didn't know who to talk to, didn't know where to turn. And that was really what sparked that desire to help people, right? And that's that's really what led me into starting the nonprofit. That's what led me into working in the behavioral healthcare field uh, and everything that I've done since then. And I find just so much joy, as I mentioned, helping people through their journeys, no matter how dark they are. Right. And I think that's the other piece is that sometimes people don't want to talk about what they're really struggling with underneath because they're worried about what everybody else is going to think. And I think where I've been able to be really successful in, in helping is that I say, you know what, listen, I've been in a dark place too, right? I know what that feels like. I know how terrible that is. 
and, you know, in, in what I've been able to do in my professional career, walk alongside so many people and help them take those really meaningful steps has meant so much to me. And so, you know, that's really where it started was 18 years old, new in recovery, saying like, I just lived through torture and I don't want anybody else to experience this. So I'm going to start talking about it and I'm going to start helping people. And that's where that started. And then I just got more and more and more involved. And, you know, I'm one of those people, I don't just like stick my toe in the water. I just cannonball right in. And so, um, you know, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. The analogy of a cannonball there. What was your sport actually when you were um, being an athlete? Was it, was, it wasn't swimming, was it? No, <laughs> no, no yeah. swimming. Um, I was actually a competitive baton twirler. So I was oh. a soloist. I actually got to travel all over the world competing, performing. Um, you know, I grew up in the... Uh, in a household with, with competitive baton twirlers. My mom was a national champion, um, as well. And so I started competing when I was five and I retired from competition, uh, individual competition when I was 18. And then I twirled, uh, on the competitive team and performance team for the university of Florida Gators. Um, so that was a great way to kind of wrap up that piece of my career. And then I was Miss Florida. And so I got to compete at Miss America with the talent of baton twirling. Cool. I'll definitely um, maybe talk a little bit more about that the latter part. But I I don't I have not interviewed a a, a champion baton thrower before, so you're there unique you on that. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have too many of them in Ireland, to be honest. Um, in fact, I got to travel and, and perform in Ireland. Oh, really? So, wow. Yeah, I okay, did when cool. I was I think like uh, seventeen, sixteen, seventeen years old. I got to okay. come over. Very, very good yeah. so, so it's yeah. obviously in from a year early age that mindset of competitiveness growth mindset pushing yourself do you remember yeah. growing up through that those phases obviously your, your family sounds like they were quite successful and motivated and driven do you remember kind of coaching I always like to think coaching moments when you're growing up you might have had lots of coaches I've had lots of mentors mm -hmm. and coaches growing up and there might have been a few sentences that have really stuck mm -hmm. with me to kind of help me go through that next yeah. level things like that come up for you when you, you reflect oh that. yeah big time and in fact a lot of the things that I was fortunate enough to experience uh, during those years those very formative years when I was you know competing are things that I still like I use with my team now I use them with my coaching clients now and a lot of it revolves around mindset so I like my own worst enemy, right? It didn't matter how talented I was, how hard I had worked, um, how much time I had spent in the gym, any of that, I would get in my own way when it was time to really show up and do what I needed to do. And so there was a patch there where it's like, why am I not winning, right? Like what, none of this makes sense. All of the stars are aligned. I've done the work. I've got the routines. I've got the best coaches. Everything's stacked in my favor. And yet it would be time to go out there and actually do it under pressure and inside would just go, right? Like I was, you know, all I could think of was all the things that weren't going to go right. I would be thinking about all of the other competitors that I was going against. I mean, I would talk myself out of winning quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the most bizarre thing. And my coach's husband at the time um, had actually identified it. He's like, you take the lump, Allison. You just take the lump in your throat. You can't get past yourself. And um, and at that point, my parents said, you know, we need to maybe look for some other people to, to bring into her circle and, uh, you know, worked with a mental coach, sports psychologist to really kind of train my brain, rewire how I would handle pressure. And some of the things that he taught me then have just been so incredible and and have just really changed everything for me um and there's still techniques and strategies that i use to this day 
uh, for myself. I use them with my team, as I mentioned, my clients, my eight-year-old daughter. Well, she's nine today, but oh, my nine-year-old daughter is is using them too. And so it's uh, you know really exciting to to see something that was such just a basic practice for me back then be something that I could carry with me for the rest of my life. And it really was just retraining my brain on what to focus on as opposed to putting up all of the barriers and all of the things that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've read a, a good few books around that and the term choking, I suppose, comes in into mind a little bit there. Um, Matthew Syed, I think bounce was the name of the book, but um, can you give us some examples? So of those little, tricks that you yeah. actually do because i'm sure people are listening whatever they're getting anxious about be it you know baton throwing potentially or presentations or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is in in, in, yeah. in work or professional or personal life what are the kind of really simple hacks i suppose that you would yeah. you would recommend i think the simplest one and um, that i default to are, are quick short i am statements and so for me you know, I would, like I mentioned, to say all the things that were going to go wrong. Like that was immediately where I would go to. So the challenge was let's talk about all the things that are going to go right, right? Like I am a winner. I can do this. I have a good attitude. I have a good attitude towards others. Those are my four, right? Those are my core four I am statements that I would say every single time. But the key to this is like, it doesn't matter how cool your four, your I am statements are, whatever it is, you have got to condition yourself. So just as like you're conditioning your body, your mind, your presentation skills, whatever it is that you're trying to do, you're also conditioning your brain to default to this in a, in a time when you need it most, because you can't just be like, oh yeah, I've got these cool statements and when I need them, they'll be there. It's like, no, you actually have to practice and you have to incorporate this. And so, you know, making it, especially up front making it part of your routine, right? So whenever you're, um, you know, put under pressure, even morning, noon, night, scheduling it with yourself so that you start just knowing these and saying these, and then also leaning on these in situations, not necessarily what you've prepared those for, but whenever you feel stress or anxiety or a heightened sense of whatever it is that you're going through, um, go to those statements, right? Because it's absolutely impossible to say negative things to yourself at the exact same time that you're saying positive. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously, it's impossible. So coming up with those short statements, putting them where you need to have them. I mean, I even had my daughters put on her mouse pad. So they're right next to her computer. So like if she gets stressed, she's got them right there. Right. Um, you know, my clients, as I, I work on this, you know, I have them put sticky notes on their computer, you know, so they're always visible because it's got to become a habit. Otherwise it's not going to help you. Uh, So you just, you have to condition yourself. And, you know, I I actually had the same conversation with one of the girls on my team a couple of weeks ago, you know, she was kind of beating herself up about her performance and where she was at. And I'm like, you know what, listen, like you're getting in your own way right now. Like listen to all of the things that you're saying to you. Like, first of all, if you were listening to somebody else talk, talk about you like that, you would walk away. So you can't talk about yourself like that. Number two, let's retrain your, your thought process here. And let's, instead of saying everything that is going wrong, you've got to say what's going right and what you're going to do to get there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, it, it's good. Uh, good advice. And the, this I've read recently somewhere about, you know, we live in our own head so much of the time. It's important that you make it a nice place to be right. Yeah, so, you know, so absolutely. F- feed the nice, nice stuff in there. Um, one thing that comes up for me there, um, and I know I, I do a lot of presentations and I, 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 I like practice, obviously practice makes it better. I don't say perfect, but um, 
and the dry runs and putting the time in and the effort that's the hardest part right that i know i might have to do a presentation in a week's time i might do three dry runs of it that is so difficult to kind of motivate yourself to actually do but you know once you do it you come out the other side and you you know you kind of uh obviously craft it and and become better at it things like that do you have advice for for that kind of procrastination or that resistance that people feel when they're facing a, a you know, a challenge, a goal or anything that that's kind of blocking them? I think the moment that you start to feel any sense of resistance or procrastination uh, towards anything, you need to immediately write down why. Because if you can acknowledge what is bringing this up for you, like, why don't you want to practice it? Why don't you want to do the dry run through? What is it that's making you nervous? Um, what feelings or emotions or thoughts are creeping in and you write those down on paper and then you can also identify, you know, if there's any worst case scenarios or if this would happen. So some, for example, if your fear is like, I'm going to forget what I am going to say, then you would write down, okay, well, what, what will you do? How will you navigate that situation? And so when you put your fear on paper, first of all, you remove its power which is great, right? So that's also very empowering, right? Mm -hmm. To say, okay, I acknowledge you. I see you. You're very real to me. Uh, and this is how I'm going to deal with you. That's really an amazing way of doing it. I have some folks that I've, I've mentored and coached over the years that simply writing their fear or whatever's holding them back on paper and physically throwing it away or cutting it up or tearing it apart and throwing it in the trash can helps a lot too. It's like, I see you and I'm removing your power from my life. So things like that. And I think being really honest with ourselves too is, you know, I think anytime you're forced outside of your comfort zone or you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone intentionally because you want to grow, it's going to be uncomfortable. And so there's a, a certain point where you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Because we can stay and we can stay in the same place and make no strides whatsoever. Um, but then what's the point of life, right? Like we're supposed to evolve. We're supposed to continue to get better. We're supposed to level up all of these wonderful things, but it's not going to happen if you're always comfortable. And so, you know, working through that, having that routine for yourself too. Okay. Like I'm feeling this, this is why, and this is what I'm going to do in this situation. Sometimes it's just enough to say, okay, I can handle this. Let's go, you know, so that's, and sometimes yeah. you just have to incentivize yourself too. I've had clients that have done that too. They're like, if I practice three times, I get to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So you just have to know what, what's motivating you and where it's coming from. Yeah, no, that definitely, I think the incentivizing one is, is also very, very important for some because people might be intrinsically motivated or extrinsically if they want to give themselves something yeah. tangible as a, as a reward. Um, you mentioned early on in the conversation about feedback and that's something I, I always like to kind of dig into a little bit because a lot of people that listen might be managers or leaders and have to, you know, from time to time and hopefully on a regular basis, give feedback to their to their team members and employees. What what approaches do you recommend that you think have the most impact for um, meaningful feedback, delivering the difficult messages? Just interested to, uh, to hear your perspectives on that. Mm -hmm. So feedback for me is most effective if it's early on, right? So if something has just happened that needs to be addressed, you got to nip it right away. 
that's one of the biggest things that I see people do is because they don't want to have uncomfortable conversations and they sit on it and then it's not in the moment. It doesn't have the same type of coaching value if you sit on something for too long because the person now has moved past it, right? They might not have even realized what they did wasn't what needed to be done. And it's really hard for them to relate back. Whereas if it's in the moment or it's as fast as you possibly can give it, do it and move on. Um, frequency of feedback is really important, good and bad. So, you know, we have a pretty structured process at work at advanced recovery systems with my team. Like we have weekly one-on-ones with our team members every Monday, you know, you're going to have a one-on-one and it's up to that uh, employee to fill out their feedback form, right? They have to fill out what were the results the week, what do they need from their supervisor and their manager? And it's up to the manager to be prepared to have conversations and address their needs, but then to also have an agenda of items that need to be discussed in ways in which that employee can continue to move forward um, and advance and do better in their position. So it, you've got to be organized with it. You've got to be on top of it and you can't miss moments because I guarantee you, if you see something and you don't say something about an action or a behavior or something that could be better, you'll be regretting that in the future because it probably will repeat itself or, you know, yeah. later on when you're like, Oh, I could have corrected this if I would have just, you know, had the guts to have that uncomfortable conversation. Um, but you know, it's, it's important. And I think when you come at it from the intention of like, I'm giving you this feedback because you're amazing and I want you to be the best you possibly can be. It allows them to see, to not feel so on edge and that they're in a position where their job is at risk or, you know, they're not good enough. It's like, no, this person really does genuinely care about me and how I'm doing in this role. And so that is so ingrained in our culture. Um, And, you know, we want people that want to grow, right? Like I'm not interested in hiring a bunch of team members that don't want to continue to get better every single day, that don't want to take advantages of opportunities. We pour so much into our team that you have to be someone who's receptive to coaching to even make it to the second round of our interview process, right? Like we screen them out. If you're not interested in, in constantly developing and evolving, it's just not going to be a good fit, right? So that's a big part of it too, is getting the right people on your bus, right? Or on your team. And then making sure that you're delivering that feedback so they can continue to be on that seat on the bus or move up on the bus, however you want to position it, but um, to continue to have opportunities to grow and learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the positive intent, I think, is extremely important when you're giving feedback that you're not trying to you know, chastise the person, you're actually trying to make them improve. And if you start with that, um, it, it, it sets the tone for, for the rest of the conversation. And, you know, even if you are giving constructive or whatever you want to term the not so positive stuff, at least if you start with positive intent around, to your point, around the why you're giving it, um, I think that makes certainly a difference, right? So as, as a leader uh, of, of a team and, we were we have got to maybe twenty one minutes and not talked about COVID, right? So that's probably been good. Um, but but as as things have evolved over the last ten months or so, and I presume in your role in your organization, it's heavily remote. And uh, how has that challenged you? I suppose as a coach and as a leader, and when you're doing a lot more of this work, um, you know, virtually and and in a remote setting. 
it was a challenge, right? So I have, you know, 40 team members, all of which were very used to being in the field and seeing people that intentionally did not sign up for office jobs, right? So um, that has been a challenge. We had a quick pivot. Uh, We moved swiftly to get them all of the tools that they would need to be efficient at home. We immediately looked at metrics because field field metrics versus you know, at home metrics are very different. Uh, And so, and we outlined them and made them pretty clear, right? So that they knew how they were going to be successful and supported through the uncertain time. And that we were going to continue to tweak and evaluate and update. And there were times where we missed, right? Like at one point, you know, metrics were really aggressive. I thought they were way too high and we pulled back, right? We realized we listened and we reacted. And so, you know, we are very open with our people and with our team, and we are constantly asking for feedback. And that's just my leadership style. Like, I want to hear from my team. I want them to know that their voices are heard. I will take all of it. I will evaluate it. I will consult with my leadership team. And then we'll make decisions that are in the best interest of my team and of the company that allow us to get the results that we need to get, right? So uh, they were amazing. And honestly, like, I am still just in awe of all of them and how resilient they were as, you know, they're all going through things personally as all of us are and were, um, they were champions and they never lost sight of what we were doing or who we were doing it for or what our purpose was. And they showed up every single day willing to help people that needed us most. And it was a beautiful experience, despite how stressful it was for everybody to watch people really grow. Um, I watched leaders become exceptional leaders during this time. I watched, uh, you know, junior team members really evolve and, and show their true colors and, you know, what they were capable of. And now they're advancing within the organization. And, you know, we really came together as a unit. Mm-hmm. We were always close, right? We always have had a really great working relationship and I've got team members, you know, our organization is not that old. Um, I'm actually the longest tenured employee. I've been there eight years. Um, but, you know, I've got team members that have been, have been with me for six, almost six and a half years at this point. So we've worked with each other closely for a long time and to see them even grow and change and, and step into it and not, not allow the fear of, uncertainty stopped them from leaning into the situation, which I really, really appreciated. And I needed that. I needed that from them and and they needed me to be there for them too, but it was incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely, I think that, uh, the disruption from the pandemic has, um, certainly brought out the great leaders and exposed those that aren't so good, right? That that haven't been able to adapt and adjust and, and be resilient and, and kind of figure out ways to, to motivate and keep the team members engaged. And and on that point, was there was there only one or two things that you did differently in that remote setting to kind of keep people close together, keep that kind of sense of community, sense of tribe going, Any, anything that worked well or that you've tried and, and failed on? So a few different things, like it did give us, well, there were a couple opportunities for us actually. So, you know, we were going from doing like bi-weekly mini team meetings. So we have our one-on-ones big team meeting, but then we were doing um, like every other weeks, we were doing just the smaller breakout team meetings. We made those every week. 
because people needed connection, right? Like that was the big piece that was missing for so many of them. And so that helped a lot. There were requests for just like mindful moments. So once a week we have, you know, an optional mindful moments break uh, meditation. They can come on. It's guided by one of our team members. The good thing is we work in behavioral health. So we have a lot of therapists around, mm-hmm. right? So that we can bring in and help. Um, and so that, that works to our benefit. Uh, so we, we did that and that's been greatly appreciated. Um, you know, we've tried to do other just fun things too, like different contests and incentives. Like we, we, we have limitations, right? Being in healthcare, we can't do a lot of like, we obviously no commission, none of that. Right. Um, so, but we can do like fun things that, you know, incentivize activities and, you know, finding new accounts and things. So we tried to get really creative with like what else we could do to keep people motivated. Um, but it was just really important again to listen, like what they were asking for back in March was different than what they were asking for in October. Um, but again, just having them feel like they could come to us and say, we need this. Right. So, um, that was really important to us and something that we continue to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Listening is a common, uh, theme coming up, right. And uh, it's one of the things that we can do, uh, that costs absolutely nothing, but, uh, probably doesn't, um, doesn't get done in the right proportion, I think. Um, I'd like to just take it back just a little bit for a minute. And just you mentioned about being Miss Florida. I think was it two thousand and six or around then? When was yeah, two thousand six. Fifteen year anniversary this year. I did. I did my research there. Uh, I remembered, <laughs> but but um, that as a an experience, I suppose. What did you learn from that? Was it something you had ambitions for? Or did you fall into it and then just you know, just the experience and what? what you took from that, that made you improve. Yeah. So that was an incredible experience. And I think, you know, for the general public that just sees the final night on television, um, there's not a lot of context into what goes into it. And, you know, I didn't grow up competing in pageants. Um, as we talked about, I was a competitive athlete. That was very much my full focus. Uh, I didn't start competing until I was in college and I did it once. Right. So I made it to state my first year and I fell in love. Like I knew I wanted to come back. I knew I wanted to be it and I was willing to do the work. So I competed for three years. That third year, um, I kind of slipped back in placement where I ended up the first two years I was in the top top 10. I'm like, okay, I'm working my way. I'm going to get there. Right. Third year I come back. I'm like, this is my year. I'm going to make the five. I didn't make the five. I actually only made the 15 that year. And I was like, you know what? Something's off with me. Like, and I took a year off. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, like I need to come back and be me because I felt like I had really just become everything that everybody else wanted me to be. And I wasn't being true to who I was. And and then why was I doing this? Right. So kind of uh, checked myself, right. <laughs> got, got back in the right space, came back um, in 2006 and I, I won the whole thing. And that was great. It was a very interesting year, actually. Um, my, the year that I won at Date, there were 11 of us out of 40 that got severe food poisoning during competition week mm. and were hospitalized the whole nine yards. And so it just kind of threw the whole thing upside down and, and talk about like an emotional roller coaster, but having to be super like mentally strong and focused to be able to get through that uh, because I could have thrown in the towel, right? And been like, this wasn't my year. Like, it's just not going to happen. Dream over, done. But that wasn't what I did. And uh, so glad I just pushed through and it all kind of came together. But that year is, is a year of service, right? So you can't work 
you can't go to school, you can't do anything else. Like this is your job oh. for the year. And so it was amazing. I mean, I, I from the moment I was crowned uh, the entire year, I, I looked at it as a dream job with an expiration date. It was such a blessing. I had so many incredible opportunities and, and was able to build such a phenomenal network of supporters and people that I respect and trust. And I still consider dear friends and that I, I lean on and call regularly. Um, and, you know, real sisterhood too, with all of the young women that I competed with uh, it's, you know, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And they say, you know, like the stat in the U S anyways, is you know, you're, you're, I think it's 10 times more likely to have a son, play in the Super Bowl or play in the NFL than to have a daughter compete at Miss America. Mm. And so it is a huge honor and something that I'm extremely grateful for and continue to stay involved with the organization ever since. And I'm very involved, support it. Um, I run the foundation side of it. So the scholarship arm for the organization and, and just really appreciate and will be forever grateful for having that experience. Mm, very interesting yeah we're we don't have something like that obviously there's miss world but in ireland we have um it's called the rose of tralee it's a it's mm -hmm. a totally similar um event um and there's roses from all over the world that have irish connections so there's there's the florida rose there's the las vegas rose there's the singapore rose then there's lots of irish roses uh, you should look it up i'm not going to do a whole oh, rose of tralee <laughs> but, 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 but like that the winner for the year is a year of service as well and they go traveling everywhere and promote it and yeah. you know give it um a lot of uh exposure for, for them and yeah you, you see a lot yeah. of uh those that have won going to have very successful careers in lots of different ways and it keeps them mm -hmm. in the in the in the media do, do, has it has it had an impact do you think on your your career afterwards have you oh, yes. yeah massively yeah, absolutely now and i mean i think because i was able to have this accelerated experience, right? It's almost like packing like five years into one with, you know, I did 250 appearances, right? I, I spoke at almost all of them. I traveled 80,000 miles. Like I got to do a lot of really cool things. And one of the best things about being with Florida or, or any title holder is that it amplifies your microphone, right? It gives you a pedestal or a platform to speak upon and to share your message. And for me, you know, my passion was eating disorders. That was a struggle I had already gone through. That was what I was championing during that year. And it absolutely like one of the women that booked me to speak when I was Miss Florida actually ended up being my first boss. And so, you know, just the small world of like how that connection came to be. And then, you know, so many additional professional opportunities came my way because of maybe not because I was Miss Florida, but because I possessed a skill set at a young age that not a lot of others did. Right. And so that was something that set me apart. Uh, you know, you figure I was 23 years old, 24 when I was done. And I had had all of these experiences and I had been able to go and do so many incredible things. It gave me a chance to build upon that. Right. And so that was, I think really what I was so grateful for. Um, and that network mm. was just priceless. Yeah, no, I can, I can obviously know from talking to you and your motivations that you not in a kind of a using way, you didn't use it to give you that extra platform. You obviously, did it because you wanted to do it, but it that was an, an ancillary benefit of it, right? It puts you, it's like a, you mentioned, uh, what came into mind is like a, a an MBA effectively in a year, you know, giving you that, 
business exposure, the ability to present, you know, honing those skills, you really put it to 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 the advantage. Yeah. Right. Well, and you learn so much too. I mean, I think, you know, I, I've actually hired several other title holders now that work for me. And so, you know, I, I look at them and I know that they understand what it means to represent an organization that's larger than themselves. They understand what having a polished and professional brand means. They understand what it means to have to show up and do your job, whether you feel like it or not that day, right? Like they understand it. And it's, it's something that you learn through that experience. You can learn it through a lot of different experiences as well. But um, for me in particular, it was uh, an incredible training ground to be able to hone those skills, as you mentioned, and to then be able to leverage them in a professional capacity. And so many people say, I mean, you know, this as, as being a coach, I'm sure you hear it all the time people's biggest fear is public speaking, right? Like they, they would rather do a lot of other things than speak in public. And that became something that I loved doing. And I was able to share my story and, and propel something and a cause and a mission forward that I cared deeply about. And that's ultimately where I ended up going in my professional career was, you know, having all of those experiences as Miss Florida opened a lot of doors for me when it came to behavioral health care and continuing to be able to help people just in a different capacity. And so it, it was a really special entry point for me. Mm, no, cool. Good, good to hear that. Um, we're coming up with about five or six minutes left. So just to, so some wrap up ones that I like to kind of dig into your own practice, right? You're a very positive person. I can, I can high energy and a lot, of, a lot of good motivation going on there. You know, we all have bad days, right? So what do you do when you have a bad day? How do you kind of flip that out or do you just accept it? It's a bad day. It's okay. Well, I mean, I think we have to give ourselves a little bit of grace, right? But I'm such a creature of habit that, and I've got so many different things that I lean on to try to snap out of it because I can't allow one 30 minute zoom meeting during my day to throw my entire day off. Right. Like I have to be on, right. My team needs me to be on if I'm off, they feel it. Right. So if I'm really off, I need to take the day off right, and, and just allow myself to rest. And if I get to that point, it's probably because I haven't been filling up my cup the way that I need to. And that's on me. Like I have to own that. Uh, but a lot of it comes down to my routine, right? So I, I have to stay married to my routine. And this is actually a very relevant conversation because I, I actually got sick last week mm. and my routine was off, right? And it was so interesting because like yesterday I was like, okay, I feel so much better. I'm going to get back on my normal wake up time, which I get up at 4.30 in the morning. Like I love my mornings. That's my me time. That's when I get to do things I just love doing. And then I'm lit up and ready to take on the day. And it actually took me like, I wasn't able to get up at 4.30 yesterday morning. I was like, it's amazing how after like five days of being sick and out of commission that, you know, my body was just like, nope, we like this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, today I gave myself a little grace. I was like, I'm going to do five o'clock and I was able to do it. And I was up and I'm like, okay, tomorrow will be 4.45, right? So it's just about staying on a schedule and you know, being really, really committed to taking care of yourself first, right? There's that analogy of, you know, you hear it all the time about, you know, when you get on an airplane, they tell you put your oxygen mask on first before you put the one, the person next to you, you know, until you take care of them, you have to do that with like life. Right. And I think it's so easy to shortchange ourselves because for so many, and I'm sure so many of your listeners, like we're givers, we're doers, we want to help people, right. We want to help transform. 
and it's, we just pour, 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 pour into everybody else. We have to pour into ourselves and we have to do things that light our souls on fire. And we have to find moments of intentional joy and ways to get ourselves back on track. So like one of the things, I mean, I'm remote right now. I'm not used to being remote, right? Like again, I was out in the field. Um, but even now, you know, if I, if I find myself getting stressed, like get up and go take a walk, right? Five minutes makes a big difference than just sitting and stewing in frustration, right? Um, changing your scenery, listening to something like I've got certain songs that'll help me get right back to it or um, podcasts where I'm just, you know, oh, you know, I just needed a few minutes of that, you know, but positivity that helps get me back on track. So you, you just have to have your tools in your toolbox that you can lean on and then use them, right? Like life is stressful, the day is stressful. Not everything is going to go the way that you want it to go. So know what you need to do to keep yourself in a good space and place because this is your life, right? You don't want to constantly feel stressed or overwhelmed or upset. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you really do get to a point where you need a day, take a day, yeah. take a day and yeah. don't feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, good advice. And uh, you um, get up 45 minutes earlier than I do. I'm 5.15. I've landed on that for a few years now and I'm pretty religious with that the days i don't get up at 5 15 uh are, are tend to be bad days right I, I kind of feel like like that i have a, we have a two-year-old so i kind of get you know 90 minutes of of me time in before everybody else comes around and uh but the days i even slip or maybe say i'll have a lion on a saturday or a sunday and i don't really enjoy it you know it just doesn't doesn't feel right but but like that and when when you are feeling sick or whatever is coming over you i just tend to go to bed now and sleep because that's the the best place for me and for everybody else that knows me just to keep me out of trouble and not you know bring other people down with me sort of thing so um very true i'll ask one more and then i'll just get some info on your podcast but time management and and how you slice up the day to to get things done you know i've talked to people on on this that do it in lots of different ways and it's always interesting so how do you manage your time to be productive so i time block like crazy and i um i am religious about my schedule so and I have to put, because it's very easy, right, to allow other people to to soak up time on your calendar and then you not have any time for you to actually be able to do what you need to do on your end. And I was noticing that, right, especially now, right? Like before, meetings, fine. You had time in between meetings. Like maybe you're driving, maybe you weren't, maybe they were on the phone, but they were never really on Zoom. Like we barely used Zoom before mm-hmm. all of this. Now, like every meeting is on Zoom or Teams and I'm, you know, from eight to five. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a long day. Um, but I had to put blocks of time for me to be able to get caught up. Um, I had to put blocks of time in for me to be able to, uh, you know, knock out projects. I had to be very religious about turning off any disruptors, any interruption devices, um, or, you know, tools like we use Slack, that little time can knock you off course real fast or even outlook notifications. Right. So Mm -hmm. if I'm going into a period of time in which I need to have an outcome at the end or result, everything's getting shut off and, and everybody knows I'm on do not disturb, like do not, I'm not going to answer. Don't try. (laughs) So, um, but it's, it's really important to have boundaries too, because it's, it's really easy to turn over the keys to the calendar and unknowingly Um, I do time audits. So if I ever feel like I'm losing control of my schedule, or I'm not having the type of output that I need to have and the projects aren't getting done. I color code my calendar. I use a, a, you know, outlook calendar. So if it gets done, 
it turns green. If it doesn't get done, it turns red. And there I can see like, are there any trends here? Are there things that like in the middle of my day is nothing getting done because other things have leaked in? Okay. Well, that means mm-hmm. next week I need to schedule those tasks to happen earlier in the day. I'm a big fan of eating the frog first, right? So do the thing you don't want to do first, knock it out, get it done because otherwise it becomes that procrastination item that just keeps moving to the next day um, and very list-based. So I try to Um, keep everything as organized as possible. Everything for me pretty much rolls up into a goal or an initiative that I'm working on. And then there's tasks, right. That come up that I can't avoid, but uh, you know, everything is working towards something. So it's really easy for me to also look at the 30,000 foot view and say, okay, where am I now in relation to where I'm headed? Right. And and what else do I need to knock out in order to get there? Um, So I also evaluate that. I'll take a, a snapshot at that. I'll look at that once a week and say, okay, Here's where I need to be next week at this time and just keep working towards it and plugging in my time first, like always scheduling my time first, because if I turn over my week to somebody else, they don't get filled up. Right. And, um, you know, that's really, you know, it's a blessing and a curse when people are like, Oh, is your calendar up to date? Yes, it is. Okay. Now all go, you know, all the empty slots are gone. Um, but it's, it's also really important to block that. Mm -hmm. So that's just one thing, block your time, get it done, do a time audit. Um, and and turn off all distractions so that you can get it done. Yeah, no, I like the um, the color uh, color code everything as well. But I like the way you say if you can see the the red trend on on, on a certain point on on the day every day over a period of a couple of weeks, you, you uh, you're highlighting a, an issue then, right? That that needs to be addressed. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. Yep. No, very very interesting and. Uh, time always flies when when it's an interesting conversation. So so Alison, maybe just wrap up on about your podcast i know you've been i think i was checking you have about 25 episodes or so done you do typically one a week i would say their mm-hmm. conversations are probably not too dissimilar to what we've just had i would imagine um maybe just share some some learnings from that what you're getting out of it anything else that you'd like to to highlight on it yeah thank you i, I started the she believed she could podcast during the pandemic, it was actually uh, towards the end of March where I was going, you know, something's got to give here. I need to find some intentional joy in my days and, and focus on some good and, and some, something rising to keep me going. Right. We talked about having to pour a a lot into others and I needed to find something that was really going to lift me up. And so I came up with the podcast and started really focusing on amazing women who were doing great things in the world and, and sharing their stories what was very interesting was also talking to them throughout the pandemic about how they had to pivot or change, you know, what they thought was going to be their, their year ended up changing mid year uh, and how they were working through that. I also feature a lot of young women who are under 25, who are absolutely crushing the game and are just really inspiring young women um, that have figured out a lot at a very early age in life. And then scattered throughout those spotlights are uh, episodes that are helpful when it comes to time management or mindset or, um, you know, really keeping yourself focused on your goals. I'm a huge fan of goal setting. And so I I do focus a lot of energy uh, at least once a Order, there's an episode about your goals and where you are in, in relation to where you want to be and what you can do to get there. So it's, I've absolutely loved it. I wasn't sure, you know, you kind of start something and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to love this or not. I've totally fallen in love. And uh, I'm sure I'm preaching to the, the choir here. I know you, you love what you do too, but it's, it's become something very special to me. No, cool. Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, 
uh, once you get into a stride with it and you don't take it too seriously either right you know you have a day job I have a day job this is a, yeah. a passion project but it like what you said for me I've done this for four years now and I've learned and developed how to interview people and effectively ask hopefully decent questions that you know you can bring to to your coaching work and there's so many unplanned benefits that come out of it so i just encourage people to not only listen but also you know give it a go and try something different out right so that that's always a good way of learning um and jumping outside the fear uh is good so i know you have to go for another call as well um it was great talking with you thanks so much for sharing everything you have I've, i've taken some interesting takeaways and hopefully those that have listened uh have as well um anything to wrap up how folks can find you online as well absolutely so you can follow me on instagram that's been another passion projects of mine over the last uh, several months so at allison walsh consulting and certainly on the healthcare side of things if anybody's interested or, or needs help or wants guidance on how to help somebody else uh, allison at or a walsh at advanced recovery systems.com and you can reach out to me if there's anybody that needs assistance um, but we're always here to help and and ultimately just take care of yourself right like i think that's the overarching message is is listen to you listen to what you know you need to do at this point in your life and invest in yourself and and take care of you. So I think that's, that's the final word from me today. Um, But, you know, continue to strive to be that 1% each and every day, 1% better. It compounds, right? Consistency compounds and you'll be so happy with the result. Absolutely. Nice way to end it, Alison. Thanks again so much. Look forward to putting this out very soon and uh, yeah, look after yourself as well. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Take care. Hey, folks. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking, leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone. Pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past. Any will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free. And interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, 
but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.